Hello. Thank you very much for coming. Thank you very much for waiting. A little bit of transport hell for some people. I'm sure it'll be a topic of conversation this evening. I'm Julia Hobsbawm from Editorial Intelligence. Just want to briefly thank the Cass Business School and the business for being our partners on not just this event, but a series of business comment events this autumn. Also to the Corporation of London, who are supporting this event, have supported previous events. Um, for those of you who've not been before, the purpose of these events, I always say they're a little bit designed like political party conference fringe events, but for those of you limping back from Bournemouth, it's probably the last thing you want to hear. But they are designed to be a forum where policymakers and commentators and people in business and academia can discuss an issue of the day. And of course, today is the day when the uh, Tory candidacy has been confirmed as being Boris Johnson. And so this is the event. I'm going to hand over now to our chair, who you will note does not bear any resemblance to Andrew Neil, who is detained in a television studio, but does bear a very great resemblance to Paul Wallace, the uh, Britain economics editor of The Economist. And suffice to say from reading his biography, which I shall crib from, um, He's fantastically uh, clever and accomplished and genius in most things, including having co-written a book with uh, John Plender of the FT called The Square Mile. Um, so it's uh, with great pleasure that I hand over to him. Before I do so, I will say very briefly that um, this event is being podcast for posterity, and I think that it is also being lively or pre-recordedly uh, Podcast, broadcast on the Spectator website. Is that right, Toby? It's not live. It's going to be pre-recorded. And um, on that note, where everybody is going to be in the spotlight, I'd like to hand over to Paul. Thank you. Well, thanks very much, Julia. And um, yes, it's a good day to um, be discussing who would make the best mayor for the city. Um, I'm bound to say, having looked myself at sort of how and why the city has uh, been so successful as, a, as, a, as an international financial centre um, and, and to such an extent now that it's set to rival New York um, that whether the Lord Mayor or whether the GLC or the lack of GLC made any difference whatsoever I would, I would doubt. Um, that said, there are a number of, um, of uh, problems which the city now has obviously you know the, the obvious one is, is is transport and it could be that these sorts of uh, the, the sort of uh, areas where the where the mayor exercises his power could be more important in the future so uh, that's my sort of initial take on this um, and of course the mayor's powers are changing and that's something we need to uh, take account of so we're going to we're going to be very quick and snappy five minutes going to keep uh, my panel very rigorously to this uh, five minutes each. Um, I'm going to kick off with Damien Rees uh, on my uh, far right. Uh, delayed in traffic, but he's got here, and he's head of business for the Telegraph Media Group, which involves, among other things, being a presenter on Telegraph TV. So off you go, please. Well, uh, apologies for holding you all up. Uh, it would seem that the congestion charge is, in fact, very popular and is working because everyone seems to want to pay it, uh, and the roads are full. But... Um, Clearly, every sober-suited uh, business and city type would want a mayor who's uh, quirky and eccentric with a colourful political past. So uh, this competition, I think, is going to be a slam dunk for Ken Livingston. However, um, working for The Telegraph, um, I have to declare an interest because I'm a colleague of Boris Johnson's. Uh, but to be of value here, I think, uh, this evening, I've got to put these uh, professional allegiances aside and try and just set the scene from a business and uh, city perspective. London, uh, I think, is a machine. It's, a, it's the accelerator pedal for the engine of UK growth. And any fine-tuned machine such as the square mile does not like shocks. It doesn't like surprises. It doesn't like uncertainty, which is why I think that makes life rather difficult for my colleague Boris because obviously he does represent change. Uh, business prefers to put uh, uh, party politics um, aside wherever possible uh, and most business leaders I speak to at least have a grudging a 
acceptance uh, that Ken Livingstone has done a reasonable job. In the city, the uh, congestion charge, this is in the square mile, the congestion charge has been a reasonable success, along with the, uh, the security ring that uh, Tony is very familiar with down here. Um, planning has been a uh, reasonable success as well. You'll witness uh, the number of tall buildings going up in the city. Um, on affordable housing, uh, I think the city would, A, agree that London needs more affordable housing to help make London work, and also, B, sees uh, Ken's plans generally as workable. Uh, however, Crossrail has obviously been a great frustration, but I'm pretty confident that it will happen and that uh, business in the city will cough up one way or the other. Wider London transport is a, is a constant source of uh, moaning from the business leaders I speak to, as are our uh, airports, and they need urgent attention. And clearly the debacle of Metronet uh, is something that's been particularly worrying for uh, business. However, uh, Boris Johnson has got to remember, I think, that the Tories are no longer necessarily the natural party uh, for business and the city anymore. And that's the legacy of his party's leaders over the past 10 years. Mr Chairman, it may well be time for change at City Hall, but at the moment, until Boris's policies are much more clearly articulated, and those of the Lib Dems, of course, mustn't forget them, uh, people in business, and the city anyway, I think, will err on the side of caution and vote for the devil they know. Admirably short and to the point. Thanks very much. Our next speaker on my uh, inside right here is Simon Mixon, who's executive editor of BreakingViews.com, which, according to its website, offers punchy, relevant timely opinion to the world's financial elite. So you're coming down to deal with us here, but um, <laughs> I'm sure a bit of punchy, punchy opinion will be much appreciated. Um, thank you very much. Well, I, that's not the same. I'm very glad we're having this discussion because I think very often we tend to take a lot of, we often take, tend to take the city for granted and forget just how important it is to London and its prosperity and success and how in the space of 20 years, really, it has emerged from a state of some torpor to becoming, I think, without doubt, the greatest city on the planet. Um, you know, as business journalists, we spend, we spend a lot of time in the last couple of years, all of us, writing lots of articles about how London has now overtaken New York in almost in, in across a whole range of different ways. You know, we now have by far and away the most foreign listings. We have headquarters of most of... of banks from all over the world. The American investment banks are sending all their top people over here. Um, we have uh, we dominate share and foreign exchange trading. You know, it's been an astonishing tale of success and yet um, we're because, because London's growth is now becoming, a, we're, the city's success is now becoming a victim. We're becoming a victim of that success. So I think it's very important that the city features very prominently in this mayor election and yet disappointingly looking at some of the um, you know, manifestos for, say, the Conservative nomination. Uh, quite a few of them, you know, several of them barely mentioned at all. And in fact, you know, um, how they would, you know, discussed how they would nurture this golden goose. And in fact, I even rang one of the candidates, who I won't name, to say to him, ask him how, uh, what his policy was towards the city. And he sort of replied, oh golly, crikey, uh, oh, do I really need one? Um, <laughs> so, I guess <laughs> so, uh, and so I'm not going to say who it was. Um, so anyway, so I am very pleased we're having this discussion because I think it's really important that we put the city, we do that. The city make sure its interests are put very prominently in the election. And I think there are basically a, a couple of things that um, really the city really wants from the mayor. And the first clearly is is infrastructure, and that is a combination of housing and transport. Um, people who move their businesses here want to be able to know that, that their employees can live and work. And I think in this 20s it's quite important to remember that London's now become not just one city, but three cities, really. There are three financial centres. There's the Docklands, the West End, and the city itself. And if, like me, you spend your time quite often toing and froing between the two in the course of a single day, you can end up spending two or three hours of your day stuck in a taxi or on an underground or just walking to try and get from one place to the other. So, you know, the fact that London's transport now has been, you know, now moves slower than it did in the days of the horse and cart really means that that's a real constraint on London's ability to, to continue to attract people here. 
Uh, I think that the biggest gripe, if you talk to anybody in, in the financial services industry who has to travel a lot about London, is Heathrow. Um, and I think that you know that the, the, the sort of protests or the sort of the, the, the uproar early this year about Heathrow is no surprise to to anybody who talks to bankers and business people in London. Um, I, I think it's quite shocking that that you know that all the political parties seem to be uh, looking at policies that would rule out any kind of airport expansion in the southeast. I, I don't see how any candidate can seriously claim to be uh, having the interests of London's financial services community at heart if they are prepared to rule out any further airport expansion. Um, and finally, on transport, I mean, clearly Crossrail has been a... Um, uh, you know, we need to have Crossrail very badly. And um, I think that, uh, that, that hopefully, we, as, as, as Damien says, we'll get that. But I think there's one other thing I'd like to just to, to draw attention to. Very briefly. Very briefly, which is that, that, that in the... Um, that nobody... These, that the, the one thing that the mayor can do, and I think that I... Which is, is to speak for the city, and one of the things that there's very few people these days who do. There are lots of bodies that that have some role speaking for some bit of it. Most importantly, the Lord Mayor and the, and the City of London, which does an absolutely valiant job. But you know, ultimately, there, we, that London does need somebody who's politically prepared to stand up for its interests, somebody who believes in capitalism, believes in free markets, who believes that that it's that London's success is absolutely that the financial service industry is important. And so we need a mayor who was prepared to lobby hard, even to lobby hard in business to, to, both in Europe, both in London, in Westminster, and, and also to promote the city internationally, um, going and taking the message all over the world that London is the place to be. Um, and I think that that's something that we, that, that we, should, um, we should certainly ask our mayor to do. Well, thanks very much. I mean, uh, whether any mayor can do anything about um, Heathrow expansion, whether in fact Heathrow expansion is a good idea, maybe we should have a completely new airport as the Town and Country Planning Association thinks, but can I move now on to John Friedland on my uh, uh, far left a distinguished commentator for The Guardian and London Evening Standard and source of much envy, a, a successful thriller writer too so. <laughs> Thank you um, Far left may be overstating it but, uh, but, uh, Far left but, 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 but uh, <laughs> Yes, that may be right um, I, Funnily enough, despite probably our different starting points I end up in the same place as many uh, as, as uh, those previous two speakers or, or at least the place they imply uh, I come at this slightly differently not just perhaps in political orientation but also I don't claim to be any kind of expert on the city uh, but I do think that whatever uh, constitutes a good mayor for the city with a capital C um, probably also uh, constitutes a good mayor for the city as a whole in other words my guess is that people in the city capital C are looking for the same qualities of leadership as everybody else um, in several ways now Ken Livingstone, Lord knows I've had my differences with him on, on lots of issues in print and everywhere else, and yet the choice is going to be him or Boris Johnson. And I think in that choice, uh, even with the very, very big limitations there are on big failings of Ken Livingstone, I think he just does come out as the, as, of the two as the one who is the only uh, plausible mayor for this city, whether you're spelling it in uppercase or lowercase. Uh, it is true what we heard first, I think, from Damien, that the business community do believe despite themselves, that he just is a very good and very competent executive. He knows how to run things. It was something, actually, some people believed even in the period of the GLC, but it's, it's, it's certainly been true now. Uh, city and business has pros have prospered in these last seven or eight years. They have found few reasons uh, on that score to disagree with him. Uh, it's something people on the left criticise him for, how cosy he is with developers. You mentioned the big buildings going up. And even his trips and his relationship with the Chinese and to China show somebody who understands the financial needs of this city. So I think, uh, in a way, the case is, has to be put on the other side. There has to be a good reason to dislodge him and a different, a, 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 an alternative to him, an opponent, who would obviously be much better. So that's why the weight of this argument is going to be uh, on Boris Johnson and is he that person. I would say he isn't. I think the first and most important quality the city with a capital C and everyone else looks for is competence. And I'm afraid, I don't think the most benign word you could use for Boris Johnson on that score is to say unproven. That uh, you could say running a weekly magazine isn't the test of running uh, uh, the world's biggest, uh, most important, or the world's greatest city. There is no parallel there. But I think you can go, unfortunately, further and say that if you were electing a jester for the city, if you were looking for someone to cheer us up and entertain us, look no further. If this was a, a, an ex, an ex style, ex factor rather, style vote for the new presenter of Have I Got News for You, 
Boris Johnson would have my vote. But this is not about that. It's not about being uh, a prankster and being fun. The collapse of Metronet, I think, is the key example. You have to ask yourself, would you want him in that seat dealing with that problem? Uh, it's a job where golly and crikey isn't good enough. Uh, you, it isn't just uh, where you can put, pull out the old shtick and say, well, I'll better get back to you and make a, ga and make a joke, as he was doing on the radio this morning. I think you need to uh, have some proper answers to those questions. It means it sounds very po-faced to say this, but I'm afraid I just think that is uh, the reality. This is a serious job, and it needs somebody who can be serious and do it properly. Um, more deeply, and the reason why I think competence is in question, is here's somebody whose judgment just has to be uh, the subject for great doubt. On every issue uh, I think that matters, uh, he just has a habit of being quite consistently wrong. So he was against the Krugman congestion charge, along with other Conservatives. He's now changing that position, but not clearly. Uh, he you know, was uh, against the Kyoto Treaty, cheered George W. Bush for crumpling it up. He was wrong on the Iraq war. He's just consistently wrong, wrong, wrong. And, the re and he gets himself entangled in knots because he then has to retreat from these positions and say it was sort of uh, just a piece, it was just a column, I was joking, things have changed, uh, I got the Iraq war wrong. I, don't, I think, again, as a columnist, you can do that, although you know, we try and avoid it, but it's not great if you're having to make huge executive decisions with uh, uh, millions of pounds, billions of pounds even riding on the line. Just that lack of clarity, the series of U-turns, etc. And I think today on the radio on housing, with that lack of clarity, just not able to give a straight answer, is just the kind of problem. Crossrail, we've been hearing from both previous speakers how vital that is for London. Boris Johnson didn't vote on it, didn't see that was a vital issue for London, yet wants to lead this city. But I'm going to get to what I think is the most sensitive area, uh, but I think relevant, and it's the area where I've had my big differences with Ken Livingstone. Part of being mayor, and this will absolutely apply for business, is this ambassadorial role, being a figurehead across the world and internationally. Um, Firstly, and part of that, to lead a city, both uppercase and lowercase, like this one, has to both recognise and champion its diversity and to be outward-looking and international, internationally minded. I don't think it's plausible uh, to have a candidate who is, to have a mayor rather, who has said and written the things Boris Johnson has said and written about race and diversity. I just don't think that's possible. People think you should, you know, take it as a joke, but somebody who is able, in their vocabulary, to use a word like is to describe black people, to talk about people with watermelon smiles, lowering their machetes and stopping hacking each other to death to, uh, for cannibalistic purposes, is not fit, I don't think, to lead a diverse city. Um, like this one. Read the black press in London. They are of one mind on this subject, more or less. Uh, that's true of the workforce inside the city. The city, capital C, understands how important diversity is. Don't think you can have somebody who's able to use that kind of language, and not, moreover, resorting not just to prejudicial language, but language really of a different era, a kind of imperialist 19th century language uh, to describe uh, 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 the people who make up this city. It's half, a, it, half a minute more. Yeah, yeah. It also applies looking outwardly and internationally. For example, China. Now, I think people should criticize China for their human rights abuses, etc. But I don't think you write a column where you talk about Chinese air stewardesses and their funny way of talking, veli solisa, etc., as Boris did. And nor do I think you say that Chinese culture has not contributed anything ever, that it's purely, quotes, imitative, uh, and that Chinese cultural influence has been virtually nil. That is not going to be the way a leader of this city can interact with the world's most populous nation. Uh, we can talk more as the discussion goes on about his plans for buses, etc., etc., etc. But I think the deeper you go into it, he is great fun, he's very charming, he's an absolute prince among colonists, but he is not fit, I don't think, or able to be the mayor of the city. Okay, well, thanks very much, Jonathan. I suppose you could say that Ken is a bit of a jester and has equally had to disown um, his past. You could say he's, he's done even... Um, bigger U-turns, really, in terms of his position. But um, can I now move on? You could say that. I suppose I, you, you could say it. I'm just saying one could, one could put that point of view as a comment <laughs> of the chairman. <laughs> um, on to uh, my fourth speaker, Mrs. Moneypenny, who does so much, it's impossible to summarise, um, but this includes a weekly column for the FT in which she delights us with talk about her cost centres, her three cost centres. Um, so um, over to you now, and I gather that you, are, you claim to, to be the 
uh, only person here running businesses. So, uh, and you've missed you've missed a key point. I should say our chairman's got notes here on all of us, which I've been able to read because I can sit next to him. <laughs> and he's missed a key point of his introduction to me that says, um, "I see one of your from your recent columns that we both um, holidayed on Collins Day in the Hebrides." Yes. When did you there? When were you there? Ah, uh, in a different week. <laughs> but with two, two cost centres. With two cost centres, yes, they're not very cost centres, I promise say. I was very astonished to be um, asked to comment on, the, uh, um, on this particular issue about who would be the best mayor for business until I saw who all the other commentators were, because I'm the only one, I think, I think Simon, Simon just about, but um, I'm the only person sitting up here in front of you who actually pays business rates. I run not one but two businesses. I went and got my business rates bill out today, and I see that I wrote a cheque for £26,640 from my business. Um, I employ 30 people in, in London, and the single biggest challenge I have is to get people to come and work for me, and so, it, it, not for me personally, but to come and work in London. <laughs> and, uh, and, well, of course, that would be also true. But, but I have to say that the, tra the transport is the single biggest and most serious thing. But, you know, when I think about it, um, you know, how are we going to comment on who's going to be the best mayor for London when we've only actually got two serious contenders? One of them only got declared this morning and he hasn't got any policies. Um, and the other thing is, if I had known that you could get selected as a candidate for mayor of London if you were blonde, outspoken, and constantly said things that were unpolitically correct, I would have put my hand up. Um, I, I, I think... Um, yeah, and they'd, yes, exactly, exactly. I, and I, unfortunately, um, as I know to my cost, if, the reason why I hide behind a pseudonym and you never see any photographs of me is you put. I need to lose twenty kilos, not put it on. So you, uh, you would. I don't think I'd make a very particularly photogenic candidate. I do cycle everywhere, of course. That's another very good thing that Boris does. Um, but it's no good. I think. I think I want to take it. Objection to several things that the other speakers have said, otherwise, this is going to be a very dull comment. All right, so a number of things that these worthy journalists who don't run businesses um, have said. Um, I, I thought Damien made a very interesting point about the city of London with a capital C um, and thinking that the congestion charge was a reasonable success. Damien, I've got news for you. I don't know anybody in the city that knows how much the congestion charge is. It's all paid for by their secretaries online, and, uh, and they don't actually, they wouldn't be able to tell you that it's gone up recently or how much it is. Um, and Simon talks about airport expansion. The airport everybody in the city wants expanded is at Farnborough because that's where they park their jets. And, in fact, the thing that they've been very pleased about is, I don't know if you know, we've got a new heliport coming, um, which has uh, been approved and is going ahead. And there's been no fuss, no debate, no public inquiry. We're getting a new heliport down on the Thames, and, you know, that's fantastic. And the really good news about Battersea, by the way, is they're building a fabulous restaurant there so you can land and eat all in one go. It's, it's true, and it's been passed, and there's been no public inquiry. You know, the city loves all of this. So... Um, you know, what I want for the next candidate, I'm personally voting for the ABK party, which is the anyone but Ken party, on the basis of a number of things. At the purely frivolous level, I think it's about time it's someone else had a go. I worked for Ken Livingston as a junior advertising executive on the Say No to No Say campaign. Um, if any of you can get hold of a copy of his book called If Voting Changed Anything, They'd Abolish It, it's the funniest thing on two legs. It's a brilliant book. You should buy it secondhand on Amazon, it's fantastic particularly look for the chapter on his um, ability to influence what films were shown in London or otherwise um, but that isn't a particularly good reason to dislodge him just because um, he's actually you know, been there a long time and uh, the gentleman to my left uh, pointed out that we need a good reason to dislodge him well I think if be, ha being good at anything was a particular a need before anybody stood up to run an organisation or a country. We haven't got any other candidates then. There's only one person who's done the job. This is a catch-22 situation. By definition, any other candidate won't have done the job before. So I think that's a, a demolished argument, because otherwise we're never going to have a choice. Ken Livingston will be there until he's embalmed. Um, he's, he's not done a bad job on transportation, bless him, um, even the bendy buses, but uh, what gets me is it's all completely distracted by some of the really bizarre things he does. I mean, I think newts are at the bottom of the list. The number one thing is, I mean, who appointed an alcoholic to run our transportation? You know, and that was the first thing. Secondly, um, you know, what, what was he doing in Venezuela? I told you I was unpolitically correct. I mean, I don't think it matters that I'm unpolitically correct, but, you know, that was it. Venezuela? I, th I got completely sidetracked by Venezuela and cheap oil. I'm not really sure where I was there. I'm not sure how it was affecting me in, in West London. I've just opened a second office in Shoreditch High Street, and I haven't seen much cheap oil there either. Um, and, uh, you know, 
you, the other point you made was, you know, should we have someone to cheer us up? I mean, it's not a bad idea. If you're stuck on the tube in a Metronet-managed line, I would quite like something to cheer me up. Um, but, you know, can Boris deal with crisis? You know, have you, did you read what went on at The Spectator? Has anyone been to see Toby's play? <laughs> you know, it, 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 you know, crisis, he does crisis, okay? He does them quite well. Um, he's run a business in Dutty Street, and, uh, you know, because he, that was where it was when he was there, which paid business rates. He's written checks. I mean, you know, I, there was, as we know, a great deal of time when the publisher wasn't there to write the cheques, so he wrote the cheques. Um, I, I think Boris, uh, Boris can do this, right? Um, the, the final, but on a, my last most serious note, we want somebody, whoever it is, that fights for our share of tax receipts. I bought a business three years ago. I have doubled it in size. I have trebled the amount of corporation tax I pay. I have now invested £500,000 in starting a second business. I want that money that I pay in tax to benefit my business. What are we doing with it? We are spending it on Scotland. All right, now, we've been on holiday to Scotland, not together, I hasten to add. Uh, it's a very nice place. It's got fabulous scenery. It's got superb beaches, but, you know, so is Australia. Why, why aren't we just mailing Australia a cheque? I mean, I, I just, I want London taxes to be, I, I understand we've got to give money to the poor and all the rest of it. I do occasionally read The Guardian. But it's, but, you know, it's, we don't have to give quite so much um, let's have some more of our London money back here. And on a final note, there's been a lot of talk about the fact that the, the city needs a spokesman, someone to travel the world. And in fact, I'm quoting directly from what Simon said, he said, you know, we want someone who promotes the city, takes the message all over the world and says that London is the place to be. We already have one of those people. It's the Lord Mayor. And, and he gets elected every year. He does a bloody good job. Um, you know, I have made a big effort to engage in the, in the Corporation of London and the City of London. I have become a liveryman of a guild, and so I have a vote. And what I would say to everybody is, if it's that important to you, forget Boris Johnson or Ken Livingstone. Come and really put your efforts in the city. Great. OK, well, thanks very much. Thanks. Um... Thanks for four very lively contributions, which have got us all to, off to a very uh, good start. It's a vote for the status quo, both on my right and far left, <laughs> um, but for different reasons. Um, Simon wants someone who will go out and proselytise for capitalism, and you want someone to proselytise for London's uh, tax revenues. But um, can I please open it up? I'll probably take two or three questions, comments, and then bat it back to the panel. My name is David Hockney. I'm a publisher. I publish 50% of the world's hair and beauty magazines, so hair is quite important, even if um, it may not be from Boris's point of view. I'm also the leader of the One London Group on the London Assembly. But there's two things that occur to me and worry me about this election. Firstly, it's being turned already into a kind of celebrity bum fest, whereby everything is about the individual and personalities, and now we'd like to have Brian Paddock in it as well. And the problem with that is that nobody actually talks about policies. Maybe Boris this morning, frankly, was pitiful on the radio, tragically pitiful when asked. And to me, that is a matter of concern if I was making a decision, because he couldn't even respond to a very straightforward fact back from Jim Nockley about the balance of powers between himself and the Boris. So that's number one. But there's a second thing. If you take the question of, of commentators, one of the big problems is, is that none of the commentators seem to genuinely know, or many, with the exception of you guys on the platform who have talked very closely to it. But I read so much, people say, talking about the things that the mayor should do, the criminal justice system. Hmm. You talk about Crossrail, the mayor has no control over Crossrail at all. The only thing that he can do is get, and our proposal has been, that the London Development Agency, that useless body, spends half a billion a year of our money on all sorts of incredible, strange things, should fall on its sword and hand that money over, the money that the city is being asked to actually hand over to the government of Crossrail, if Ken could cough up and hand that money over, the problem would be over with Crossrail now. So I think that's one thing. But the second thing is, all the issues that people talk about with London Mayor are often not the issues that actually we need to really talk about to get the policy through. So I want to ask you if you would support something which we have done and which the Mayor now supports, and that is this, that the London Assembly on which I sit should actually do a quick piece of work and that we should tell everybody 
this is what the mayor can do, and this is what the mayor can't. Because otherwise, the debate in the press is all about nothing. It's all a load of old rubbish. And for us, what we want to do is to see a situation where everybody knows. So commentators can say, Boris, that's rubbish. Ken, don't talk about that. Brian, don't talk about that. And if I'm the candidate, they can tell me, don't you talk about that, but then I'll know what I'm talking about. That's a very interesting point, and thanks very much. I, can we try to keep contributions from the floor a little? No, I understand. It's a very good point. Um, I, I can I just make one observation as a, as a chairman on on this, which is that I think that from the outset it's been understood that the London Mayor had severely constrained powers, but it's a big political office. It's a, quite a symbolic office. It's quite important from that respect. Yeah. That's why Tony Blair fought to stop Livingston taking it on. So I think that, you know, we could get a bit bogged down on the minutiae if we say, oh, we can't do that, you can't do that, because he can actually say a lot of things, he can use the bully pulpit. Some more contributions, please. Questions, brief statements, but questions, preferably. It seems to me that running a city like London requires three types of capabilities. One is, if you like, leadership, framing a narrative about the city is based on the UK economy, the economy. The second is about development policies, about what you'd actually do to make the city work properly. The third is actually managing the city as a, as a separate institution in a certain relationship. I'm interested to hear from the panel what they think. Is that a reasonable summary of the three things that you need to be able to do? Are there other things that, that are also important? What's the relative balance between those in terms of making it successful? Because I think you probably be able to look at least those three well. And the question are there other things? And also, how would you trade off between those three? So let me back this back to a couple of panels. Perhaps I could bring Damien in. I think running a big city like London, I think it's very dangerous to start setting political strategies and agendas. You listen to what Michael Bloomberg said about New York. His basic point about New York, and obviously latterly uh, it's had a few problems uh, in its financial uh, district, but he said that the really important thing about running New York was administration and getting that right and making sure the thing doesn't go bust and making sure that the the machinery works. That's the primary thing. And uh, to bring it back to, to London, I think Ken Livingstone... Uh, for all his faults, has proved he can do that. And I don't think it's valid to say, oh, well, that means no one can stand if they haven't been the Lord Mayor. Of course they can. If they've run something and done it competently, anybody can stand. Uh, but I think it's very dangerous to start setting too, 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 too stringent political doctrines about you know, what London should be. You should let it get on and do it itself. You brought up Michael Bloomberg. There was a very interesting account of how he runs New York um, uh, recently, and he runs it, he tries to run it completely like a business, mm. and he uses all the IT possible in order to do that. I just wondered, because you've worked in America and you've mm. got a lot of experience there, what do you, you know, the, the, obviously the power that, that, that Michael Bloomberg, the New York mayor, has is so much greater than, than London's. Can you sort of comment from that perspective about, you know, what we're really sort of seeing, what we need here, what, we, what, what we're getting, whether, whether it's in the same order? Well, there's a lot in that question. I mean, it, it, and it goes to some of the other things that have come up, and I agree with Damien's point about it's mad to keep going on the mayor on things that the mayor has no control over. I mean, an example would be this feeling you have about the money shouldn't be going to Scotland. Now, I wouldn't put it quite the same way, but the idea that London's poor, actually, need more of London's own money, I would really go along with. But that, unfortunately, in our system, is not something the mayor can do. Uh, and many of the things that people hold against the mayor are things that are just outside the mayor's power. This is a problem with doing sort of partial devolution the way we do it. And I frankly would prefer your business rates to be set in London, raised in London and go to London. Uh, and one of the problems we have is, and that is how an American mayor can do it, a mayor Bloomberg or someone else can decide what the city needs, can put it to the voters whether they're ready to pay for it, and then keep the revenue and spend it locally without ever even making a phone call to Washington, D.C. Gordon, um, John, uh, Ken Livingston, before he does anything, had to go and see Gordon Brown, now it be Alistair Darling, uh, really to ask whether he can, you know, re repaint the yellow lines in Holloway Road, he has to go and make a phone call to the Treasury. And that's a big problem. Uh, so I think we need to go more American in this way. Uh, Bloomberg's an interesting example because what he's tried to do, knowing how febrile New York politics are, uh, he has tried to drain some of the politics out of it and run it as a very good chief executive. The big surprise of Livingston is how good an executive he is, but that is partly why Bloomberg's example is partly why I mentioned the stuff about uh, you know, uh, ethnic minorities and everything else relating to Boris Johnson, because New York is an absolute case in point 
of how volatile that can be. And if you get it wrong, Giuliani got it wrong. Before 9-11, he was in big trouble for remarks he had made which had alienated parts, uh, uh, minority communities in that city. And there's something odd in London that we think it's somehow a joke or acceptable that somebody who would be the figurehead, and it's partly a symbolic role, has used language which is, may all be fine for us, mainly white in this room sitting there thinking it's funny. It is hugely offended and alienated one third of this city that is not white. And in a New York environment, the guy would be on the floor. He wouldn't have a chance. And it's odd and interesting to me. And I'd be interested in what people say. Why is London different? Why do we think it's okay? and plausible that a person who speaks this way uh, is, is potentially going to lead this city. So I think New York, uh, New York and America offers huge amounts of uh, uh, points of comparison, partly because they've been at it for longer uh, and partly because they show us how it can be done and some of the pitfalls that have to be avoided. Well, I think that, that to me raises a really interesting question, which is that here we have a post with limited powers and um, it's not at all clear to me that, that you know, he should be going out uh, representing the city, which has got its own representative anyway, and which has got lots of people who can represent it. Uh, but actually, really, what, what is needed here is someone who, in some sense, can bind the various people who live together in London together so that, they're, you know, that, that we, we sort of all uh, are re- relatively contented. Now, I just wonder whether there are any sort of further views on this subject. Otherwise, I'd like to come to you about that. Because um, any, any further comments on, on that? Well, no, what, what, it's really what the role of the mayor here is. I mean, because it seems to me it is, going back to the point there, it's broader than the specific powers. And it's How do you go to national government if national policy is standing in the way of getting the result here in London? The second side is the bully pulpit, the platform. You're not the chair of the Dorset Police Authority. You can say stuff that other people uh, in a similar role simply uh, couldn't say. And on top of that, I, I agree with Simon. I think you do have to promote London's business, a financial centre in London. And, then, and the more challenging thing is you have to speak for the broader cultures Mm. and culture of London, from the high arts to the whole range of communities, ethnic communities that make up London, where you have to be sort of Andre Malraux turned into Jack Lang at the same time. So I think it's, it's the whole piece you have to go across. Any comments? Mm, I, I, I'll say, I, going back to Damien's comment, I'll say a big thank you to Damien. First of all, I think he emailed all of us before we got here today to brief us. Am I right in thinking that? Um, exactly. So, And it was very good that Damien alerted me to the fact he was going to be here today because I went and had my hair done before I got here. Um, I, I think it is very difficult to... Um, ha- to find out what the mayor does. I'm not at all surprised. I listened to Boris this morning on, on the radio, and I'm not at all surprised he doesn't know what, what the policies are or whatever. It's, it's taken me weeks since I knew I was going to come and speak here to try and find out what the mayor does. But one of the things the mayor says he does in his own brochure is he is a champion of London. He represents the city at home and abroad, and so he can argue for our chair. And, you know, the, the three poorest mm-hmm. boroughs in England are in London on a per capita basis. The average income um, in somewhere like Tower Hamlets or Newham is, you know, horrendous. It's £12,000 per family or something. So, you know, he is meant to do those things. He may not have the power to get the money for Crossrail, but he is at liberty and he is empowered to argue for us. Um, I do worry what he does with some of this money that he does actually have control over. I don't know if you've noticed he's spending £133,000 putting up a statue to prostitution in Trafalgar Square. But um, I did, when I did notice, though, he does say in his brochure that he doesn't need any policies or strategies. The mayor has other responsibilities that don't need policies or strategies, like looking after Trafalgar Square. So I, I, Boris doesn't really need them, OK? He doesn't need them this morning, as, as said by Ken Livingston in his own brochure. I think that we want, though, for business, someone who interferes as little as possible. I mean, and interferes with us as little as possible and argues for us as much as possible and makes transportation work and makes it... And, you know, on the argument that we don't want a cartoon character or a joke, as you said, as a... You know, who elected Ronald Reagan governor of California, for God's sake? You know, I know we're all much too young to remember that, but it was a joke. It was a joke. You know, the man's two brain cells had trouble finding each other. And they elected him governor of California. Boris Johnson... We were on Reagan or Schwarzenegger. Well, either. Either. And in fact, with, with Schwarzenegger, I suspect the one one is circulating, looking 
for the other. But, uh, but Boris Johnson is much cleverer than that, actually. The fact that he, you know, bumbles around somewhere, he's very, very clever. You know, let's see if he can do it. Can I, do you want to say something, just briefly? Um, well, yeah, I would, I would just pick up on what Warwick said. I, mean, I think that, I mean, I, I, I defend this point about, about, um, about being, uh, having a sort of the ambassador role. I mean, I think it's important. On most projections you'll see, you'll see for the city, for, for London, people talk about, about 800,000 people coming, you know, coming to London in the next 20 years. That's the potential for the city to expand. That's largely going to be the financial services industry. And, that, and, that, and they're mostly going to be people coming from abroad. International, it's the international opportunities of London and its position as an international city that is the key to this city's growth and prosperity. And so, if we, and so I think, there's, there's, firstly, if we're going to, we need to go out and persuade people to come here and we need to make them feel welcome when they do get here. I think that um, Jonathan's point is extremely important about the diversity of London is an absolutely critical part of the attraction of London for international businesses. The fact that people from all over the world can come here and find members of their own nationality, ethnicity, or their religion, or language. they can language. They can find restaurants. They can find cultural activities. I think the one thing I would, uh, one thing I think that Ken has been, um, and I think is, has been extremely successful at, is promoting that diversity and encouraging it and. You know, we've seen um, with you know events for celebrating the diversity of London. I think that's a, and I think that's a very important part of what the mayor does. And I think this, um, but it's it's completely tied in with the whole um, the, the, with, uh, as part of a much bigger picture about persuading the rest of the world that London is the place to do business. Now, some further comments, please. Yeah. Uh, someone who lives in London, um, the implication that the mayor is essential to the vitality of the city is just weird. And between the GLC and the present London Assembly, we had no mayor, and yet the city flourished and prospered. And I think it, it prospers despite whatever the London mayor does. Uh, we, we don't need him interfering. The, there are one good things that he has done, and, um, but there are, there are things that you just have to look around. And as a Londoner, I've seen deterioration in transport, in road uh, repairs, which are just fiasco, frankly. Uh, roads closed off that needn't be roads closed off. Bumps in the road, which damage. Bendy buses. I mean, you have to be crazy to put a long, bendy bus on our congested roads. The one thing you've got is unlimited free space up that direction to have double-decker buses not long buses that just block the road and cause endless trouble. And I've seen the quality of life in the West End particularly deteriorate over the past 10 years, not entirely due to Ken Livingstone, but he's done almost nothing to improve the security, crime levels, drunkenness. Maybe they're not entirely his responsibility, of course. And traffic, congestion, roadworks, uh, appalling, frankly. I'm not supporting... Johnson or, or, or Ken Livingston, I, I am criticising Ken Livingston for, for what one visibly sees as a deteriorating situation in London. Compare it to Tokyo. There are no roadworks in Tokyo. The tubes work to the second. You don't have to know where you are in Tokyo. You just get off at 22 seconds past whatever it is and you will be at the station that you're supposed to be at. Just ask, uh, Jonathan wants to come back on that, but I just wanted to ask the audience generally whether they share the view that actually we don't really need a London mayoralty anyway. Any, anyone? Just at the back there, please. London mayor, and I'd be rather grateful if we could actually have a mayor who's going to sort out, stop the uh, underground workers going out on strike at every five seconds in order to stop us from being able to get around the city. We really don't need one. We need one person who's actually going to put that right, but I suspect that's going to be down to the national government. Jonathan, do you want to come back on, on this issue? Well, I do believe we do need a strategic authority. We were the only city in the world, certainly the only capital city, rather, to not have one during those, those 20 years. And I think the decline in London infrastructure, some of the points you've been making, was really palpable in that period. There was just no lead. Uh, and if anything, where we are now may be um, in a kind of weird halfway house limbo. I'm thinking, for example, on waste and rubbish, where... It's, you know, is it the boroughs, is it the central, uh, central mayor? In a way, there's, there are things that need to be, more things that need to be done strategically. But the, with the absence of it, I think London did feel the cost. Um, 
I just want to come back on the things you've mentioned because I think that, that is exactly where Ken Livingston is vulnerable. Uh, and, and what I would say on those things, first thing is I don't know how often you use the buses, but that has been the big change he's made. Uh, and a lot of people in the sort of media and commentariat don't really use buses often either, and so they don't talk about it. But bus ridership is really up substantially. Uh, it, it's been a huge and, and, and genuine change. It was a big problem before. Uh, the bendy buses, I can't stand them either as a cyclist, cannot bear them. But the interesting thing about them is I'm told there are only 4% of routes. Uh, the reason why they, what they've done for congestion, it's a pain to be stuck behind them, but apparently what they've done is they've relieved the old double-deckers where people couldn't get on. They would jam, remember the phenomenon, the bus would come by and you couldn't get on, uh, and then you'd wait for the next one, wait for the next one. So you'd have three 19s stuck behind each other. Now you have one big bendy bus. So the experts tell me that this is it's one of these things that's annoying for us to look at, but not so bad. And lastly, on roadworks, this is an interesting one too, I think. We all curse when you come across roadworks. Why are they being done? It's because Thames Water, partly because they were so chivied and lobbied and harassed by both the Mayor and the London Assembly, are finally repairing these Victorian pipes that were leaking a billion litres of water a year, and that means they've got to dig up the road. So that's, you know, if they weren't doing that, we'd be complaining about leaking water and water charges. So these are things that are boring and difficult, and Ken takes the rap for them, but I'm not sure it's quite as negative as you present it. I can take a couple more questions, then I just want the panel to very briefly respond. Uh, over there, please. An experience of running a big organisation. I think that might be worth taking into account. Okay, yes. Just a couple of points. Support Tony and the idea of the figurehead internationally is the Lord Mayor, not necessarily the Mayor of London. Secondly, when it comes to the greatest city on earth, Simon, I mean, I've been to many like you have, and I just have put a, a, a plea for Chicago and Mayor, Mayor Daly, who I think is one of the most outstanding mayors of any country, any city any, in the world, and partly because he respects the small stuff. Where he started was about um, if anyone had a car abandoned at the bottom of his street, that's, that was the focus. Uh, and the last point is about is there an inverse proportion uh, for people like me who um, live in darker Surrey and commute for 20 years into the city? Uh, and we, we spend our money, we, we, we have all our... Uh, 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 travel here, but, we, but, our, but our, our contribution to uh, uh, who's going to be our mayor or not is limited. Who really runs the GLA? Is it the chief executive, Mr. Mayor, or the mayor of London, Ken Livingston? There are two of them. Um, I, d I can't answer that myself, but I just, I just would like to just... It does seem to me there is a, a broad question here, which is we've heard examples of mayors in other cities, especially American cities, uh, where the office seems to be effective. But London is, is undoubtedly different. There has always been a huge tension between the councils and the GLC, the LCC that preceded it, then the GLC, um, and now the London Mayor. And it seems to me it's extremely untidy. And the other thing is that there's another player in this, which is, of course, the central government, which, for which many of the supposedly strategic issues it thinks are very strategic and, and in a national interest. Um, so, um, uh, anyway, that's, that's my sort of general comment. But perhaps I could ask in reverse order um, for one minute of final observation. I may, starting with you, please. Well, it strikes me, um, having listened to all of you and all of them, that uh, we, uh, we have a bear. We don't know what he does. Um, we don't know what he's in charge of. Um, he's not our international spokesman because that's the, the Lord Mayor. Um, and I can tell you from um, personal asking around the office that uh, my staff still can't use their Oyster cards in every station in London. And as an example, if you go home to Wandsworth Common versus Ballam, you have to decide which way you go in order to use your Oyster card. So I'm not actually sure that anybody's good for business. I think I'll probably just carry on running a business successfully, whoever's in the job. Hi, that was very, very brief. Um, uh, Johnson. Uh, that's interesting. I, I'm not sure I agree about the Lord Mayor. Um, it's interesting some of you saying that. I just, my hunch is that outside internationally, it's the mayor, the elected mayor, elected by the whole people of the city, that speaks for this city. Um, uh, what I would say to those people here who are employers and business people, if you were hiring a chief executive, I think you need to close your eyes and just imagine. If it was between these two, I take the point incidentally about Brian Paddock, and I think if the politics were different, maybe he would emerge as the strongest candidate, but the politics are not different, so it's going to be between those two. If it was between those two, hand on heart, even if you're a Conservative, would you really choose to entrust your business to Boris Johnson over Ken Livingston? I'd be interested to know that. Uh, my guess is that Truthfully, they would go for the person who, despite everything, and despite everything you'd think about him, has actually proven himself a manager. My beast with Ken Livingston, incidentally, 
where, where I really have disagreed with him in print, etc., has been exactly where he's violated the consensus that's gone here, which is where he's spoken about things that have nothing to do with the mayor's job, uh, foreign policy, uh, Hugo Chavez, etc., etc. That's when I think he goes wrong. Uh, but there is a real job to be done there. Uh, and I think in terms of confining yourself to that job, um, uh, it's pretty obvious who it'll have to be. The very last point I would make is, the, is really to reiterate the one I've made. I think we, you know, if, if one community or several communities in this country, in this city, are really feeling very, very strongly that, that for the rest of us to choose this person that I'm talking about, that they would be somehow being ignored uh, and said their feelings being trampled on, I think that's something everybody should really be taking more seriously, even if they eventually reject it. We should at least be listening to it. The moment I get a sense we're not even hearing it, and I think that's storing up trouble. Okay, well, thanks very much. And um, sorry. Um, well, I come back to this point that, that London's huge success over the last couple of decades has brought us to a point where um, actually the London's you know, in danger of becoming a victim of its own success. Um, clearly, the first duty of the mayor is to be able to run London properly, to run what he's responsible for and what he's got. But um, but the next, but the other part, but there is an important strategic part, which is to contribute to and lead the debate on how London will be able to accommodate what should be its future success. I think it's important to to note that the probably the key the key point the key thing the key development that has allowed London to be as successful as it is is was the creation of Canary Wharf. Without Canary Wharf, I'm not, I wonder if London would actually be where it is now. I just think Frankfurt would be the leading city in Europe. It was only because a whole area of London was open to regeneration, to build these office spaces to accommodate people. And, and, and at the same time, the, and, and the Jubilee Line, again, has been critical to that success and has led the redevelopment of a whole area of South London. We now need to have a new area, new phase of regeneration, a new phase of development in order to enable London to be successful. And I think it's very important, whoever is the mayor has a strategic vision and has a, a, recognises right at the heart of his vision for London that this is a golden goose and it, the, the way that he needs to think about how to nurture it. And uh, Damien? Well, I think parts of London uh, certainly don't work, but much of it does. Elements do need fixing and fixing by someone who's focused on the detail uh, and I think Ken and Boris like to play politics on a very wide stage, uh, which is probably in the long term bad for London. Well, that was uh, brief and to the point. And I'd like to thank all our speakers, all our contributors from the audience. <laughs>